Welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Fichani. Dr. Fichani is a lecturer in the Department of Mining and Geological Engineering at the Botswana International University of Science and Technology. He has more than two decades in mining, including underground hard rock mining and open cast operations. He worked in Botswana's mineral policy and responsible for negotiating concessions, assessing of mineral development project license applications. He also worked briefly for DBS Group as a mineral economist and as a citizen of Botswana. Welcome to the Sheila Khan Extractive Podcast. My brother, it's very nice to have you. Thank you very much, Sheila, for that uh, colorful introduction. I appreciate it. And uh, I must say that uh, I'm very happy that uh, you invited me to be part of this podcast. And but, let uh, me so, greet all your, uh, your, your viewers. Thank you very much. So I, you know, because we are discussing the broad subject of transparency, I'm mindful that one of the areas uh, of concern by many uh, observers, tax collectors, government regulators is that there isn't enough transparency when we are dealing with the value, volume, and for that matter, grade of the minerals that we export. So let's just start at the beginning then. When we say we audit minerals, what do we mean? Okay, Sheila, uh, you know, auditing minerals is, a, is actually the it's a, it's a, it's a detailed process, right? And uh, at the level of uh, the government, for instance, you, you require mining companies to submit monthly and annual returns on, on their operations, okay? This is just in order to comply with uh, the host country mining laws. Some governments have got uh, autonomous agencies who are talking here like maybe Tanzania and Zambia, and uh, these conduct mineral audits, and these are essentially intended to check that, uh, as you're saying, the volume and grade of the uh, beneficiated mineral products that get sold are not deliberately understated especially in cases where the operator sells the product to a parent or related company. So that is really the, 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 uh, the, the burning issue about uh, the mineral audit, to say uh, when a company exposes, let's say, the concentrate or even the mud or even the final product, is it at the quality that uh, it claims it to be? Is it at the volume? So that uh, because all of these uh, uh, then affect the revenues to government. That is really the thing. The thing is, you are saying, are you getting uh, the, 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 the correct uh, amount of royalties that, uh, that are computed on a fair basis? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you've said a couple of things. Let, let's go to the issue of selling to a parent company. Just very briefly, can you explain for, to the listeners what might be, what might cause greater risk if the mining company is selling to its own parent company versus selling arm's length to a third party? Well, you know, there are a lot of uh, risks there that uh, you need train people to uh, to actually pick them up. This is where now you must 
involved the, uh, the guys in the, the tax departments because you are not bringing in transfer pricing issues there so that uh, you are eroding the tax base of uh, the host country and uh, the value that is being realized is not realized locally. So you might find that uh, a company is uh, selling to the parent company at cost, you know. So you, you make zero profits uh, in the host country and they make profits uh, wherever they are located. So those are the things that uh, very quickly, the, the people that uh, are trained to look at that, they'll pick it up very quickly. So that is the problem with selling to a parent company. In, uh, in situations where you are selling to a non-related company, there's, there's a bit of comfort in that uh, you, you, you say you'll be looking at a, an arm's length, an arm's length uh, uh, agreement. So you'd say that uh, it doesn't mean that you may not get cheated, but at least the, 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 the issues will be different. Hmm. So basically what you're saying is there is an incentive if a company is selling to its own parent company because they don't have to charge that company any additional costs. Uh, they can just reduce the actual value in the knowledge that the parent company will, when they sell to a third party, recover that. And, and in the end, it levels out. But if you are selling to a third party, they have an interest in ensuring that the both the, the values and the volumes of and the grade as stated is real because if it is overstated, for instance, it costs them. So you, you use the third party for all intents and purposes as a kind of uh, secondary source of assurance. Is that correct? That, that, that is very correct, uh, Sheila. If you look at uh, consensus, for instance, for as long as uh, I've been in, 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 in the industry, companies that export concentrate, they'll have a lab. So you sample that concentrate, you get three samples, one for the, for the buyer, one for yourself, and the third one for the umpire. So in the event that there's a disagreement, then you, you, you can look at the value that uh, the, the umpire is uh, assayed as well. Mm. So you are so, very, you're, you're very correct. Yeah. So um, you know, we you you've you've spoken about final product. You've spoken about med. You've spoken about concentrated. These are terms that don't mean much to the average person. Let me try and uh, help uh, the Sheila Kamer Excited Podcast followers. You, you know, we explore, we mine, and then we uh, produce concentrate. We refine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. At what stage in this pipeline do we typically uh, carry out mineral audits? Okay. I think uh, the, the, the answer to that is uh, really understanding that uh, the mining and the beneficiation state of, of the mining value chain itself begins with, expo with exploration, right? So we are going to discover and delineate your reserves. And it ends, of course, with the beneficiated product that we're going to sell. So that beneficiary product, in many cases, uh, you are looking at your, uh, your concentrates, okay, for base metals. Some, some will actually then smell that those concentrates to uh, arrive at a mud product. If, uh, if you look at Zambia, for instance, then uh, they can even add value to that a little bit further and you can produce either your, your what do you call your copper anodes, if it's copper, 
So even uh, go all the way to produce copper atoms, copper cathodes, right? But as mining progresses, it is important that mining companies submit returns as may be prescribed under the country's mining laws. Okay. Now, th this kind of returns will include your uh, the amounts that you are saving so that the government can then compute the mining royalties, right? And uh, one of the things that, uh, as I was saying, looking just at the mining stage of the value chain, at the end of the year, typically we are going to need to look at uh, returns that include the resource statement at the beginning of the year, the amount of ore that was mined in the reporting year, the amount of saleable product in the year, and the resource statement at the end of the year. In other words, you are really, for you to be able to, to say how much has been mined, you must keep inventory of uh, that mineral inventory that you are mining for. So mm -hmm. that is uh, when you look at uh, where along the pipeline you are going to do the, uh, the audit. Then your audit is not going to be a simple thing. So when an audit is conducted, its elements will therefore include auditing of the mineral resource itself. You know, that may actually include it. Uh, that might mean you getting a, a geologist, a resource geologist, to look at the block models to say, okay, that was the inventory. That's where you started. The survey volumes, that's what came out. Okay. And uh, the classification of the resources, because some of these will jump in and out of uh, the classes that uh, they may uh, actually be in. And this is as a result of uh, met, uh, product prices, of course, right? So your audit, as I said, just, me, just, just to recap there, your audit is not just a simple case where you are looking at uh, what was produced really. If you do a proper audit, it must start from the resources, then the production, then the recoveries, then what was sold. So it's not, I mean, if just have a, a department of mines looking at the returns, they're not doing audits, they're just basically checking. So an audit requires you to assemble a team, then you go and do it properly. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to try and if I can play this back. So basically what you're saying is even when one thinks of uh, the uh, audit process, there is something of a pipeline. And that, that pipeline starts fundamental with understanding the resource on the ground, the order of magnitude and the grade, because it is there that the mining and the extraction takes place. And you should be able to compare what is mined with, with your understanding of what is in the ground, because what you don't want, for instance, is that the grade on the ground is stated as Y. But then after extraction, it is declared as X. So part of the auditing is just checking that consistency such that governments know fundamental what's on the ground. And then what is mined, what is processed, and then what's exported. And that auditing has to do with verifying based on proof, records, previous benchmarks that these all stand to scrutiny. Did I get it right? You, you got it right, Sheila. You are, you are spot on. Okay. So now I'm interested in ensuring transparency throughout all that those processes. What are, I mean, it's evident why transparency is important because, you know, there's a lot at stake and uh, the government 
revenue depends on these figures standing to scrutiny. Tell me the relationship then between the reliability of those uh, pieces of data and royalty. Yes. Uh, when we look at uh, royalties, royalties are, the, are, are easy to determine because normally you, you just apply a certain percentage to, uh, to the amount of metal that was uh, produced, amount of product that was uh, sold, right? And uh, really, if uh, you under-declare the amount of uh, product that you are producing, there's a one-point correlation there. So that means uh, your, 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 your receipts are going to be, I mean, the, the, the amount that government will get in terms of royalties is going to, uh, to be lower. So as a quick check and uh, as uh, something that uh, really compels government, what provokes government to act is to, to be able to say, are we getting sufficient royalties from these minerals? And is the royalty base okay? Is it correct? So once that royalty base is correct, then you can rest be assured that uh, the, the computation is straightforward. That's why the computation of royalty is not normally done by tax people because it's so basic, you know? So you find that uh, the, the, the checking of that may actually lie with the, the Department of Mines instead of uh, the, the tax department because the concern is, did you, you need to check technical to say, did you actually produce the quantities that you claim to have produced, looking at your mining plan, looking at your production returns. Hmm. So that, I think that, that, that is the key issue there. So, but you're talking about transparency, uh, Sheila, there, just to add on, on, on transparency. I don't know whether I wanted to uh, to ask a further question on, on transparency or you wanted me to uh, just add in my, my little bit on uh, the, the importance of transparency. Yes, of course. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. I, I think that uh, really, when we speak about transparency, the key issue there is uh, it is very much a key component of uh, good mineral governance. And uh, these things are not happening in a, in a vacuum. I mean, no country does it alone. That's why you've got uh, initiatives such as the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiatives. And their focus really is to, is to having transparent reporting. And that starts from uh, who owns what, in agreements uh, going beyond what is uh, stipulated in the mining laws, the production reports, mineral sales contracts, revenue collections, and they are used by governments. I think the key issue there is that if this information is available to the public, you get researchers, you've got people that have uh, different interests, then when they analyze and look at this, it feeds back into the uh, proper governance of the, uh, the, the mining sector. I just wanted to throw that one in there, Sheila. No, I think it's important because what you're saying is that it's not just transparency for the sake of the government being able to reliably levy royalty. It is also transparency for the sake of other uh, stakeholders in the country being able to scrutinize this, carry out research, and then you create an ecosystem 
of knowledgeable people and you create an ecosystem on the basis of which policies, laws can uh, be enacted reliably uh, because they've been subject to more scrutiny than just one government department, but also that that then feeds into uh, negotiations when we say uh, we want to move this corner pole, then it's based on several voices having added to the conversation. No, it makes perfect sense. Now, uh, we, we spoke about uh, resource geologists. I, I wanted you to give us a sense of what kind of skills then, given what we've said, needs to be done, are typically necessary to be able to competently conduct these audits? Yes, uh, you, you need a variety of skills, right? So on the main, this requires uh, technical skills, of, of course, because where you are going to start, you've got your mineral inventory. So the skill set there, you are really talking about uh, uh, all evaluation or reserve estimation geologists. People that have got uh, everyday working with uh, uh, mineral resource management. So th those will be geologists. So they're able to then look at uh, where you started in terms of uh, what was the inventory. Because, you know, when you do your, when you say you've got a deposit, we don't want to start classifying it as uh, in different classes, but what we're saying is there you have got uh, an inventory of uh, your mineral inventory. That's where you are starting for. So you can have your geologists uh, do models for that. And as time goes on, when you're mining, you are creating voids in there so that now that requires skill again. So in, in other words, really, if I'm going to do a proper audit, a, 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 a normal government department would not have the skills to actually go there, sit down, spend a, a month or so, really scrutinizing the, the models and uh, reconciling what, what was mined and what was not mined. So we'll have the skills to begin the audit right from the mineral inventory, okay? Then you also need the uh, accounting skills, really, because you ought to be able to to peruse through the sales contracts to understand the terms of uh, say, yeah, here we are talking. This example that I'm, I, I'm giving, Sheila, is uh, for, for instance, if I'm talking about uh, the gold and the hard rock mining, base metal, right? So there are going to be contracts that influence the value that you are getting for your product. So your audit must pick that up to say, okay. When you when we are selling, are you actually getting the, the values that are aligned with the contracts? Okay, then uh, so you you look at uh, those types of skill and you say, okay, I I uh, even if you idealize the, the situation, is that something that we can have under the Department of Mines on its own, or is that something that we can have under the Tax Department on its own? And the answer is no. So that's why. But you can have those uh, units there, maybe collaborating and working together to do uh, a proper job to, to ensure that uh, you can be assured that the values that you are getting uh, are, are correct. Hmm. But what I've seen in the past is that uh, really when you talk about, because I want to make a, a differentiation between checking day-to-day -day, uh, 
amounts of royalties and bring a proper audit. And what I've seen is that when we do a proper audit, that is something that uh, we usually outsource. But I know that some countries like Zambia and uh, Tanzania, they've got dedicated uh, uh, agencies to look at that. But I'm not familiar with that uh, kind of arrangement. Hmm. Um, right. So, you know, the skills you have described, which is uh, resource geologists, um, I know from the experience of uh, Botswana's diamond mines and copper nickel, there were many uh, citizens with that skill, as you said, working with government on the mines to project uh, 10 years in advance and break that down into annual uh, production uh, estimates on the basis of which the audit would then uh, be conducted. You've also spoken of accountants and I imagine somewhere along the line might be mineral economists. These are readily available skills. So why despite having these skills is this issue of government's ability to conduct mineral audit considered a difficult undertaking? Yes. Well, I think that two that two uh, issues really there. I, th I think the first issue is those skills that I mentioned, they're also available uh, for the private sector, right? So it, it is not easy for government to actually uh, attract and keep them. I think you recall that uh, in one of the projects that we did, that, that was really a key thing there, that uh, the low government salaries in general uh, I made a setback to getting the skills that you, you require so that you, you are not able to uh, to retain these people in the department of departments of mines. In fact, this could be the reason why you find then uh, countries like Tanzania and Zambia opting to 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 house these skills under autonomous agencies because there the salaries will be delinked from uh, government salaries. Yes, the skills are available. But it's just a, a, a matter of uh, the, the labor market. They will go to the highest bidder. And that is normal. That is expected. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, in a, if you wish, open market uh, system, people move, even within the private sector, they move from one company to another. Uh, I, I have difficulty understand why if governments know this, but also presumably appreciate the significant importance of having qualified people, why don't they just pay them enough? I mean, essentially it looks to me that uh, if you don't pay them enough, it's a case of opportunity cost. Why not just close that gap and say, we know that you're going there, this is what you're gonna get. It's, you are important to protect national value. This is what we're going to do. How difficult can it be, Fichan? Well, you know, I, th I hear you, Sheila, and uh, I'm glad that you're asking this question because uh, both you and I, you, if, you, if you take it to the diamond sector now, you'd know that uh, even the valuation there is highly specialized people that are, uh, you know, in high demand and their salaries, uh, for, for them, for, for, for that to operate, you outsource it 
and their salaries are totally uh, different from any scale that we get in government. So I think the, the, the challenge is that, uh, is that of uh, saying there are services that we need to provide as a government and you cannot have a, a lot of salary uh, systems in government. And I think I, I understand that argument. So maybe a way around it, as I said earlier, is then to turn this into uh, autonomous agencies. So that way, the, the, the profit center, they can pay in relation maybe to, uh, to market-related rates. Mm. Yeah, of course, the, the, the Mozart situation is unique because that one, I realized when you use examples, you used uh, bulk minerals and uh, precious metals because the systems there are more common and cross-cutting. Uh, but 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 here in Botswana, it has to be said that the, the government diamond value, who is de facto the equivalent of an auditor, is paid exceptionally high price and, and it has no bearing, if you like you say, on, on uh, uh, public sector salaries. But that's just a unique thing uh, because diamonds are, are, are what they are. But this uh, mineral audit thing, it causes a lot of mistrust between governments and uh, mining companies exporting minerals. I mean, in your view, what is the real problem here? Is the problem just an inherent mistrust or uh, is there genuine leakage in many countries? Well, I, you know, this issue has been uh, around for many, many years. And I think really it is to be expected because apart from the straightforward mineral royalties that uh, are, keep, uh, are easy to compute, the, the, the bulk of the, uh, the government take would come from your, your, your profit, right? And a profit, profit really is an accounting creation. And companies have got uh, all sorts of strategies to minimize their tax bills, the amounts that are going to pay. So right there, I think that is the source of the, uh, the, the, the mistrust that uh, on, on both sides, people are clearly aware that uh, a company is trying its best to minimize the amount that is, it, is, it is going to, to pay uh, as tax. That is a given and we understand that. Then I think the other reason for the mistrust, I believe, arises due to the cyclicality of uh, the mineral commodity prices themselves, where in periods of booming prices, even the best taxation formula fails to capture a higher share for the profits uh, as taxes, tax right? I believe that uh, we see this across all commodities. And as, as, as soon as, Companies are making super normal profits, and uh, there is no equivalent uh, windfall through taxation. That is going to create some uh, mistrust. In other ways, but it's not happening to to resource. Uh, I mean, this uh, commodity producers only. I mean, it's not happening to the third world only. It happens even in the first world. You know, when there's mm. a, a high metal prices, high commodity prices. Countries start thinking of uh, 
super <laughs> this uh, profit taxes that uh, are to help. So I think this mistrust will always happen, and uh, it is important that we understand that uh, the source of that is not because uh, it just mistrust for the sake of mistrust, but it is a function of uh, the, 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 the mining industry. It's a function of the resource industry because of the cyclicality and other issues because of the, uh, the fact that, as I was saying, accounting is the profit is really just a, an accounting thing, you know. That's mm. not really. Uh, when yeah. com companies can do things to minimize the amount of tax they pay. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a very important point that uh, because of first the relatively volatile nature of the market, governments perceive this near permanent moving target, and and it can leave you uncomfortable because it's not as if once you get a formula, you agree a price, that's it, that's all you have to worry about. What you are saying is you see this constant change in the value of the mineral that has been sold in the markets over which governments and for that matter, mining companies have no control. And then you are left really in the hands of the accountant, what they do to either maximize or minimize from a cost perspective and, and then maximize from a revenue perspective. And I guess governments are aware of this and they sit uncomfortable with this constant movement and the way to, I guess in some way perceive it is that it's just uh, mining companies being creative with accounting, which sometimes I imagine is the case, but sometimes they themselves are flawed by uh, changing market dynamics. I think that that is a, I think a, a, a fair uh, observation, but, but you're also saying accounting is as much a science as it's an art form, it's, it's man's creation. And therefore, from time to time, that, that instrument itself can be used. It, it, it's not entirely without flaws and, and governments uh, understand this. I, I did want to ask you, I mean, where there are genuine differences in how, for instance, we might value uh, a, a product before export, what are some of the modalities that both governments and mining companies use to reconcile uh, their differences? Yes, um, I think uh, if we keep it to our base metals and the precious metals, the, the process is, uh, I mean, they, they've got uh, clearly defined protocols, right? I think uh, I alluded to this earlier on, where for each of the uh, the consignments that you make, if you're going to be exporting concentrate, for instance, you, you need to, 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 to pick a three samples, uh, you know, one for the seller, one for the buyer, and an umpire one. And for as long as I remember, that is how uh, these sales and purchase agreements are, are structured. So that if there's a disagreement on the, on the values, and, you know, you would understand that uh, the, the sampling protocol is common. So where, how would the values differ, you know? So those are some of the things that uh, you, you, you account for saying, okay, if there's a difference in value, let's go to the sample that was given to the umpire 
and that that gets sampled and the values then apply. But mm. I, I don't foresee a situation where every other shipment would require the umpire's uh, sample to be used. But it, it's just a, a mechanism that is in place so that you don't start uh, haggling over the balloon. Because, you know, you, you cannot delay some of these things. When someone says uh, they want concentrate, it's because that concentrate is required for a smelter. If that feed is not available for a smelter, then the efficiencies even in, in the smelting operations will get affected. So there's got to be a smooth operation. So I think these uh, mechanisms are meant to preserve that uh, flow in, the, uh, in, in, in how we are actually buying cell concentrates. I'm sorry that uh, this one, you know, I can only talk about uh, base metals because as we mentioned earlier on, other, I mean, base metals and gold, for instance, because diamonds uh, tend to have that one little thing on the side and uh, we can talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's going, to, that's going to displease your countrymen and women because I suspect that's what they want to hear. So as a last question then, let's give countries that market diamonds some comfort. So uh, you and I know that uh, Botswana uh, exports millions of carrots and that we sell diamonds. Uh, the joint venture between the Beers and Botswana sells diamonds uh, every five weeks. I don't recall a protracted uh, agreement between Debswana uh, selling on to the BS. Why is it? What, what is it about the system that has allowed this continuity without any kind of uh, litigation or any kind of material difference in the sales process based on presumably consensus over valuation? Yes, I, I, it's a great question, uh, Sheila, and I, I'm happy that we leave it to the end so that I can take as much time as I want. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, just as with base metals, really, there will be a, a dispute resolution mechanism that needs to be followed in the event there's a difference uh, in the valuation of diamonds. But because, because diamonds are unique in the sense that uh, you don't test for content quality and say okay this is so many uh, so so many uh, maybe percent copper or percent uh, gold you know grams gold whatever but the way that uh, you, are, you value diamond it's unique amongst all, all of the mineral commodities but in that uniqueness they still simply because you cannot value the uh, the millions and millions of carats so you sample your full production. You come up with uh, samples that are representative of your full production. So you, then you value those samples to say, these samples now, when we value them according to given parameters, this is the value of each of those uh, stones in that sample. So who does the valuation? The seller must come and value, okay? In this case, when we say the seller, we mean the persona, that means that then they will be relying on the government diamond valuer to value that parcel, the sample. The buyer also values. So for, for, for most parts, really, 
those uh, two parties are using uh, established uh, protocols. In other words, you are saying for this type of stones and these sizes, looking at whatever parameters that uh, they'll be used to, to value them, there will be no disagreement. So most of the time, then uh, the bulk of the, the production will be able to sell without any issues at all. But once in a while, you may get outliers. By outliers, I'm talking about uh, stones that don't look like the normal ones, maybe very big stones. I think uh, when you say you are not aware of any major disagreements, you know, to me, my understanding is that a major disagreement is a disagreement that is going to disrupt the export of uh, diamonds. In other words, we are not going to sell diamonds. So that would be major. That would be major for the country. But now, those ones there, they are just like uh, the normal ones. So the normal ones are easy. I mean, they sit month in, month out, every five weeks. But when it comes to the special stones, the big stones, that is where, you know, you might see that uh, there could be a, a, a variation in uh, the, the valuation that we get from the government, the amount valuer and the, the buyer. That is to be expected hmm. because it, 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 it cannot, uh, it's not a normal uh, type of stone that we're dealing with. And luckily, then I think uh, if there's a if there's a disagreement over that, the mechanism will be relied upon. I think uh, the reason we have not, not heard of uh, the stoppages it might be something that says, well, if I disagree being on this piece of equipment, uh, this piece of uh, diamond here, it should not prevent the sale of the others. Mm -hmm. So you can. You can give yourself enough time and then objectively value it differently. Even go to a third party and say, well, this diamond, if we were to polish it and we sell it, how much would it fetch? Hmm. Can you polish and put it on the market so that you can say, ah, you know what? The government diamond value was right, or this, the buyer's uh, value was right. So I think that is really where it is. It's about separating out the, the normal run of uh, millstones from the special ones and having a mechanism for, for the special ones. Because I, I doubt if, uh, if you put in, a, if you brought a special stone to three diamond valuers, they would not arrive at the same uh, valuation. And that is to be expected. Fantastic. So, yes. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I, I, I suspect a few people will find this conversation particularly enlightening. Thank you for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast once again. Thank you very much, Sheila, for the invitation. And um, if you ever need to fill a slot, I'm available. <laughs> that, that's nice to know. <laughs> <laughs>